Well, here it is once again, another Friday down, seven weeks, seven Fridays till Christmas. But right now it's time to go inside EMS. This is Chris, and of course with me always is my good friend, Kelly, what's going on this week? Seven weeks till Christmas. Is that shopping list getting long? And, and just as always, uh, you, you know, you have to get me nothing this year. Well, well, good. And you don't have to get me anything either. So we can we can keep up that tradition. Uh, no, my shopping list is very, very short. I buy I buy Christmas gifts for me, uh, my daughter, and Katie Beth, and, and that's it. And usually I don't figure I, – I, uh, I wait until about December the 23rd before I do that. That's that's a bad habit on my part. Yeah, but she's a teenager now. I mean, do you really have to buy her presents, or can't you just give her a big wad of cash? That's, yeah, pretty much, yeah. Big, big wad of cash. I give her uh, uh, an Amazon gift card or something like that and let her let her do what she wants to do, buy whatever books she wants and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. So I think she's harder to buy for. She's getting uh she's getting big too, man. How old is she now, your daughter? Katie Katie Beth will be twenty November the twenty-third. Gosh, man, when we yes, started this, she was we she was ten when we started this. Yes, yes. Uh I thank you thank you so much, Chris, for making me feel old. Yeah, man, I'm the kids, of a twenty man. year old. Fifteen seconds of pleasure, eighteen years of misery. Um <laughs> so speaking of misery, Kelly, there was a uh, article that came out September twenty-sixth from the from the National Association of EMS Physicians. And uh, the title of the article was Should Waveform Capnography be an EMT scope of practice? And of course, you and I have advocated for the EMT mm-hmm. being able to function under their own uh, scope of practice for years and they yep. are not uh, individuals who drive they are not individuals who get the equipment they are individuals that have gone to school and need to be mentored to move up into the uh, ems career field but of course you and i got involved with the comments that were on facebook and this is the basis for this show and and we want to we can't believe i mean i think you and i are on the same page but i mm-hmm. can't and i think we have a difference of opinion that we're going to get into but when we start to think about what an emt can do why are we still having these discussions of uh, adding to scope of practice and i think we need to now start to think about you know what uh, the EMS systems of the future are going to look like. And I got to tell you, man, as an EMS leader, and if any organization who wants to hire me to revamp their EMS system and, and do a good job of kind of uh, developing the EMS system in the future, we are going to lay it out here. I'm going to lay it out here for you. That's right. What that would look like. But before That's that, right. when our, when our legion of flying monkeys completes our quest for world domination, That's stuff's right. going to change. Hey, you know, now you're putting me in that. I mean, that was, literally. That's right. I'm That's right. You're going to be my, but, you're going to be my minister of EMS administration. I appreciate that. But, uh, you know, this did come off a good article. So before we mm-hmm. get into the comments and before we get into opinion, Kelly, let's go ahead and think about the article. Should waveform capnography be an EMT scope or practice? Of course, we'll put this in the show notes as well. So you guys can check it out. Give it a quick little read. And, you know, the the discussion is where is this line? Where is this line of advanced uh, life support? of basic life support and what do those skills look like? Um, you know, they talk about the limitations of long auscultation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the article, it talks about long auscultation may help uh, quality of ventilation, but it's deceptively complex, especially in pre-hospital environment. Is it really deceptively complex? I think if you hone your skills, 
And regardless of where you are, one of the things that we had to do in our careers, Kelly, is we had to be able to learn to listen to breath sounds. We had to mm -hmm. learn to master breath sounds. And then once we did that, we had to learn to listen to breath sounds and master breath sounds at driving at 60 and 70 miles an hour down the road. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it's a different level of skill. You know, so they talk about provider experience, stethoscope quality, which I agree with. Talk about the limitations of pulse oximetry, which we all know that people put so much, so much effort into pulse oximetry that it's the end all be all. And it really isn't. I got mm -hmm. a lesson one time back in the old days and I'm scuba certified. I'm hyperbaric certified. And as a hyperbaric technician at one point in my career, Kelly, I actually put a uh, pulse oximeter on somebody who had uh, carbon monoxide poisoning and learned, 100%. <laughs> and learned the lesson that it was 92%. And, uh, but this person was unconscious. They, yeah. you know, they needed to be treated for carbon monoxide poisoning. And the physician told me back then that this is the, you know, insignificance of post oximetry. But, um, you know, when we think about waveform capnography, this was really advanced for EMS. And we mm -hmm. were able to come into the emergency room, Kelly, and give them information that they weren't used to getting and didn't really sometimes try right. to deal with it. And, and, and still. Uh, yeah. And then on another forum, we were having a discussion about where I made the comment that we need to do away with uh, breath sounds altogether and just use waveform capnography. Of course, that started a. Uh, uh, you know, a horrible troll storm oh, yeah. as well. You kids these days, yeah. But Kelly, your initial thoughts about this? I, I absolutely think that waveform capnography should be a part of the EMT scope of practice. It can be done now with a few hours of training, uh, and it's immensely beneficial information for for our providers in in assessing their patients. I, I don't think there's any reason we shouldn't. Uh, in Louisiana, it is within the EMS scope, of, uh, the EMT scope of practice, um, and and in several other states. Colorado was mentioned by by uh, Ruben Farnsworth. It's in the EMT scope of practice there as well. I, I think the whole the whole uh, scope of practice debate is is specious at best. Uh, it, it's not a we, there may be a scope of practice, but there is no scope of knowledge. And, and assessment data is essentially knowledge about your patient. Uh, it, it's, it's an assessment uh, skill and an assessment step uh, that, that really shouldn't have any restrictions and limitations on it. You know, Chris, Kepnog, or, or ALS versus BLS, and, and this, this supposed line in the sand, it's a totally arbitrary line anyway and and functionally it, it's not a line at all it's there, there's a spectrum uh um the the difference between als and bls care and als and bls assessment is an artificial line that mainly has uh reimbursement and and regulatory purposes and that's all that's all it has nothing to do with patient care it's medicare will reimburse you at this rate if you do these things and reimburse you at that rate if you do these things and that line is constantly shifting you know think of the things that we that our EMTs do now that they weren't doing 15 years ago and we didn't have to to drastically overhaul the EMS curricula to get it done we're talking about superglottic airways we're talking about um uh uh nebulized, uh, aerosolized, uh, bronchodilator medications, uh, and, and many other things that, that EMTs were not doing, 
15 years ago, and they're doing well now. Uh, I, I just don't think it's a, it's something we should waste time over um, uh, debating when when the uh, the knowledge of waveform capnography application and, and the science behind it is fairly easy to master uh, and, and immensely beneficial for our patients. Yeah. And, and, you know, when we think about this, I mean, for years, I mean, when I was at MedStar, I left MedStar in 2010. When I was at MedStar, I taught a 16-hour course, and I think I taught it at the conferences a couple of times, basic, basic EKGs for basic EMTs. It was a 16-hour yeah. pre-con. And at the end of the 16 hours, the EMTs were able to recognize uh, normal sinus rhythm, atrial rhythms, junctional rhythms, uh, ventricular rhythms. And when we think about teaching that, it took me 16 hours, and the pass rate of that course was 87%. And the reason it wasn't higher was because the people who failed the exam were the people who were on their phones, the people mm -hmm. who were leaving the classroom, the people who weren't engaged in the discussions. But when we think about that, at the end of the 16 hours, people understood what the P wave was, they understand what the QRS complex was, they understood yeah. what the T wave was for, and then they understood how to calculate rate how to calculate the rhythm and how to determine what the rhythm said now when we start to think about this and now we're saying we can't do the same thing with capnography waves i mean when you think about 35 and 45 millimeters of mercury when you think about yeah. a normal wave when you think about a shark fin wave when you think about a biphasic wave it's the same concept when we start to think about this from the standpoint of education, and, and there are a lot of comments in this, and this is, I think, where you and I differ. There are a lot of comments in the Facebook thread that talk about how much, you know, how much education are we going to give these EMTs? I don't know that this education should happen in the school. I think this education should happen in the agencies. I think the agency should take the onus of developing the EMTs and paramedics when they come into their system. When, when we hire people, Kelly, you know, and it's because we have to, I used to say tongue in cheek forever that, you know, if we can get rid of the workforce, our job as leaders would be easy. But the, the yeah. realization is we need the <laughs> workforce for the organization yeah. to be successful. That's why we're hiring them. And when you come to me, you come to me with some knowledge. You come to me with a set of skill. You come to me with ability. But I don't hire you for what you've done in the past. I hire you for what you're going to do for me in the future. And if I don't invest in your professional development, you're only giving me what you already gave someone else. And shame yeah. on my organization for doing that so after you get out of your course after you get out of your emt course me as the organization and i'm hiring you for the first time or even if i'm bringing you into the organization for um you know uh, with experience i still have to get you from where you are today to where i want you and need you to be tomorrow and i think that this is one of the biggest failures so i can teach you how to read an ekg I can teach you how to read a waveform capnography. I can teach you how to put in an adjunct airway. I don't need to intubate in my system anymore. You know, if a fire first responder arrives on scene before I do as a paramedic and they recognize that advanced airway is needed, are you telling me that they can't place an eye gel, that they can't place an adjunct airway? The answer is ridiculous if you're waiting for me to come and intubate these people. So when we think about these skills, most certainly we could teach our EMTs from the agency standpoint. And you know what, Kelly? It's our responsibility to do it. Are you, are you done? Are you done? Well, hang okay. on a second. Let me. I need. Good. I need my now, oxygen. I got to get off this soapbox. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, and it's a tall soapbox. What's the weather like up there? Um, I, I think you got it bass backwards, quite frankly. And, and I understand where you come from, but I think you got it backwards. Uh, I, I think that a fundamental flaw in EMS education is that we outsource the, the final polish, the, 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 uh, and, and much of the foundational knowledge to the EMS agencies when it should be taught in the schools, plain and simple. The, the, there's this, the, the, the most flawed part of, of EMS education is not the national uh, EMS educational guidelines. It's a clinical experience. It's not structured enough. Uh, and, and often the people in, in charge of, of getting our, our students their clinical experience is an FTO whose sole qualification is he managed to hang around long enough without getting fired than anybody else. And he has shine boots and he turns in a billable ticket and, and, and absolutely no teaching ability. Uh, I think it sucks. And, and we rely too much on this nebulous, quote unquote, experience factor um, to teach our students. Um, I don't think that that we should farm that out to individual agencies. But in in partial agreement with what you said, I think that that uh, uh, a great deal of things that are taught in the EMT curriculum right now could be uh, outsourced to the agencies, uh, and, and we do it kind of backwards. I, I, I see no benefit of teaching hazmat and vehicle extrication just the, the overview of vehicle extrication and hazmat all that stuff at the end of the textbook under operations could go right out to the agencies because vehicle extrication uh the the techniques are the same but but how to to do that how to interface with those providers often differs from agency to agency uh the 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 combat veteran chapter uh, yes, we need to be understanding of the of the the plight of the combat veteran and and the physical and and psychological challenges they face uh, in coming back from war. Uh, but I don't think it needs to be a chapter in the EMT textbook, uh, and I don't think that that hazmat needs to be a chapter in the EMT textbook. I think that sort of thing, operational agency specific things, can be part uh, can can be outsourced to the agencies. But foundational knowledge, assessment skills, those kind of things should be solid, rock solid before they ever get out on the street. Um, and, uh, you know, ideally, the the putting that entire picture together would be the job of, of a seasoned and, and well-qualified preceptor. But seasoned and well-qualified preceptors are actually a fairly rare thing. Uh, usually there's some burnout. Well, hang on a second. Uh, hang on. Let me let me cut you what? off, Kelly. Let me cut you off. I, I want you to finish your thought. But a seasoned and well-rounded training officer is the responsibility of the clinical department of the organization as well. So if we're allowing somebody to be crispy around the edges and train the new people that are coming in, that's not the fault of the paramedic. That's the fault of the agency that have not removed that person from that very important job to ensure that they're giving the employee the best opportunity possible. So it's not a failure of the paramedic who's, who's crispy no. around the edges. It's a failure of the organization, but I wanted to throw that in. I didn't mean to cut you off. But you, you and you're absolutely right, but that's the thing that you 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 demonstrated my point for me. Uh, we the person we rely on to to teach those that those final things uh, is, is often someone who is not qualified to do it. They don't have any background in teaching. They don't have any specific teaching education or experience. They are merely good providers 
by the standards of that particular agency. Uh, they may not even have that many clinical skills, but their customer service skills are good. Uh, they turn in a billable ticket. They wash their truck every shift and all those things. So those things are important, but they're not the makings of a good teacher and a good mentor. And that's the problem with with outsourcing the the final polish on our on our students uh, to to the individual U.S. agencies. I think we need to shift it around. Back to back to capnography. Capnography is simple, dude. You taught that that EKG recognition class in, in sixteen hours, and you can probably do it in less. But sixteen hours is good and solid. If you give me four hours, I can teach. Uh, I can teach. Waveform capnography, the back, the science behind it, a little bit about acid-base balance and, and compensation, um, and the different capnograph waveforms, and their clinical significance to metabolism, ventilation, and perfusion, uh, and and leave our EMT students uh, uh, better armed to understand what's going on with their patients. And I can do that in four hours, and I don't have to take those four hours. Uh, from from any other part of the curriculum, it's not a it's not a binary thing uh, either or. I can do it both. All I have to do is when I'm doing scenarios, I add another element to the scenario. You know, teach them background on on, on CO two and and uh, and respiratory compensation for this or that. Uh, teach them the the basic waveforms, and then boom, now that's another element in their in their patient care scenarios and their patient assessment. <clears throat> throw in a CO2, you know, and they have to understand the clinical revel- relevance of that. And I don't have to add a great deal to my EMT course to do that. Yeah, what boggles my mind is, is the, the like you said, the trolls and idiots on social media. Some of these people uh, commenting like uh, adding capnography to the EMT scope of practice is supposedly a bad thing. And, and it, I cannot fathom how knowing more about your patient is supposedly bad. Uh, and they act like it's it's a binary thing or, or oh, why don't we all just send them to paramedic school and, and this sort of nonsense. Um, and, and uh, you know, red herring quotes about scope of practice. Uh, it's not a scope of practice. It's a it's a scope of knowledge that we're we're dealing with. And, and scope of practice is mainly a regulatory thing. But once again, you know, I'm reminded of the the saying that, you know, EMS internet forums are the, the most icely spaceport of, of rational discourse. They're a, a wretched hive of scum and villainy where you must be cautious. And, you know, some of these, some of these folks, I, I don't know if they think that, uh, that um, EMTs would be encroaching on paramedic territory. Um, heck, we've been encroaching on paramedic territory for years now with superglottic airways and, and uh, patient assisted medications and, and, um, uh, nebulized bronchodilators and that sort of thing. Uh, this is this is a, a tempest in a teacup. If you oppose this, uh, my opinion, you're you're simply regressive about EMS, and and that's all I really have to say about that. Uh, a, and that was a good uh, Forrest Gump move right there. Yeah. But you know, one of the things that I think you hit on, which was really important, Kelly, and this probably is our is our final thought here, is. Why do you think that we hang on to this so much from a paramedic side? Because I think you said it, and I don't want to gloss over it, that EMTs are encroaching on the skills or the scope of what a paramedic does. But but the more intelligent that we can make our partners, the more intelligent that we can make the EMTs, and again, 
And we go back to my discussion about putting more EMTs in the truck and, and bringing their knowledge up, bringing their scope up, but having a community paramedic in one chase, having a, a paramedic in another chase if we need to. Um, why do you think we're, why do you think we do that? Well, it's, it's the same old EMS failing we've always had. We tend to define ourselves and define our worth by the things we do and not the body of knowledge that we possess. You know, you, you saw this when, when they were talking about uh, eliminating uh, endotracheal intubation from the paramedic scope of practice and, and uh, people, the hue and cry, oh, well, what makes us a paramedic then? And we do that. And I've written about that before is that we, we tend to define ourselves as a, a, uh, a skill set and a patch rather than a, a specific unique body of knowledge. And if we quit just doing that and said a paramedic knows these things and manages these things and leaves skills aside, I don't think that, that the it would seem like an encroachment if you increase the knowledge base of the EMT. But hey, that's what we think. We'd like to hear what you think. Are you in favor of using capnography at the EMT scope of practice? Uh, are they doing it already at your agency? What obstacles and benefits do you potentially see to adding this skill to the EMT scope of practice? We'd like to hear your thoughts at the show at EMS1.com. And for myself and co-host Chris Cevallero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We're going to catch you guys next week. <laughs>